Please be seated. As you take your seats, would you turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, specifically chapter 10, where we will be reading verses 35 through 52. While you're turning there, I need your help this morning. If you'll say this silently along with me, today is a normal Sunday. I need your help, so please give it to me. Today is a normal Sunday. We turn our attention to God's Word. And we hear what he has to say today from Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Okay. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, for whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. The word of God for the people of God. Let's go once more to the Lord in prayer. Merciful Heavenly Father, we would come now before your word asking for your spirit to be with us. Guide us, illuminate our minds and hearts, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you have for us today in your gospel. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Earlier this morning, I swore two of my dear brothers to secrecy. A couple weeks ago, you'll recall Pastor Lee introduced a sermon by saying, sometimes sermon introductions are very hard to come by. They're very difficult to imagine. And now imagine taking us out of series and out of sync and going to a gospel. Well, in my sermon preparation, I said, I'll do that later. I'll, I'll finish the sermon and I'll come back to it. And after... 
a couple days and a lot of time. My sermon's completed. I printed out this morning. I set it on my desk. And I realize, if you can see it, I forgot to write an introduction. Never got to it. And so I laughed with my brother Kentrell and Paul this morning. I won't make you keep that a secret for any longer. We had a good laugh about it, and I went back and I wrote one quickly. You'll forgive me if it's not very good. What do you want? What's your greatest desire? What is the desire of your heart? What is it today that you want? If you could have anything, if, if nothing could get in your way, what would it be? Would it be money? Power, status, fame? A short sermon? What is it? Because everybody wants something. Everybody is dazzled by something. Everyone's attention is grasped by something. Let me ask you a different question. What do you need? Parents, you're all too familiar with those two questions, aren't you? Matter of fact, I, I love it when people tell me, well, we don't need that. Let's talk about necessity for a moment, I like to say, and everyone rolls their eyes and says, here comes a sermon. What do you need? I want to see that there's a tension between those two things this morning. I want to show you that this text in, in Mark 10 shows this tension beautifully, and it shows a solution to this tension. I want you to see this morning that Jesus is not a stepping stone. Jesus is not a means to an end to whatever it is that we desire, whatever it is that dazzles. But that Jesus is a friend, a Savior, a Messiah who is willing to heal you. And I see this through three particular parts to this story. First, a very familiar request. Secondly, an unlikely response by Christ. And then finally, by a unique representative in Bartimaeus. So first, this morning, let's consider this all-too-familiar request. You see, James and John, they come to Christ in yet another episode of the disciples in the Gospels saying, who's the greatest? Who's the best? Which one of us will be in charge? But James and John, they, they kind of, if you know the expression, they crank it to 11, don't they? They go to Jesus in private and they whisper to Him, do whatever we ask of you. Okay. Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they ask Him, one might even say demand of Him, Let's be your right and left-hand men in your glory. Give us the, the two places, the two greatest places of honor. You see, James and John have spent the, the last near three years of Christ's ministry sitting under Him and listening to Him. And in fact, if you just turn back just a few verses, just, just a few chapters, you'll see again and again and again the disciples not getting it. How many times does Jesus have to say, the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and be delivered up? 
How many times does he have to say that the Messiah is not a political pawn? He's not a king who will restore a kingdom in this age. He shall be that Messiah of the book of Isaiah, wounded for our transgressions. He must go and die. And yet, nevertheless, James and John come to Christ with a selfish request. They go into the back room and begin lobbying against their own brothers in the faith. They begin to to push their agenda of fame and glory and power, maybe even money, most certainly authority in whatever kingdom Christ will set up. And I just, I love Jesus in this story. Love him in every story, but in this particular story, I just love that they say, do whatever we ask of you. And his first response is, okay, what do you want me to do for you? You can, you can almost hear in that question Jesus sitting back in his chair saying, you still don't understand. You still don't get it. But rather than flipping tables and getting angry, rather than calling them a brood of vipers or, oh ye of little faith, and he's prone to do those things. He patiently hears out their request. What do you want me to do for you? Isn't this so familiar? This remind you of any prayers you may have prayed before? I know it reminds me of my prayers. I've made these sorts of requests to the Lord. Because I think deep down, sure, there's different personalities and there's introverts and extroverts. There's leaders and there's followers. There's there's all sorts of types of people. But I think deep, deep, deep down, everyone, everyone wants fame. Everyone wants power. Everyone desires to be over other people. To put it a different way, everyone wants to be in control. Why? Well, it's a simple question with a simple answer. Respect. If I'm in charge and I control everything, people just do my bidding. People do whatever I want. It's never a question of want because I'll have everything that I want. Notoriety. People will remember our names when we're gone. In many ways, you and I make this request to sit at the right and left hand of Jesus on a regular basis. We're prone to this. We may not be so bold as they are, but I think the desire is there nonetheless. And I think what's most astonishing about their request isn't even so much the foolishness of it, isn't even so much the way they word it, though those things could rightly be critiqued. I think what's astonishing is just how badly they don't understand. Just how badly they just completely and totally mischaracterize who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Do you see that? You know, in their context, we've talked about this before, that James and John and many other Jews anticipated a Messiah, and that that Messiah would do what? Go die on a cross? 
be tortured at the hands of the Gentiles and the Romans, put to death by their high priests. No, they anticipated a Davidic king. We look at uh, uh, chapter 11 on the same page. What's coming? Hosanna. Hosanna. Cries which will change by the end of that week, won't it? You're anticipating someone to cast off the oppressive yoke of Rome. To cast off every single authority over them and to usher in the golden era of the kingdom of Israel. And James and John have fallen for that trap again. And what's incredible, you'd think after this, I mean, this seems crystal clear to us, right? It seems crystal clear in this passage. But if, if you turn over to Acts chapter 1, and Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, so he's died on the cross, he's rose again from the dead, he's explained it, he's explained it, and he's done it. And what do they ask him? Lord, will you now, at this time, restore the kingdom to Israel? They still don't get it. They still don't understand. I think, in fact, we are prone to the same misunderstanding. Aren't we? We're prone to be dazzled by worldly honor or fame, political glory. We're prone to covet the prosperity of the culture around us. We want glory, and not only do we want it, we want it now. We want it on our terms. We want control. We have to climb the ladder of whatever job we find ourselves in. We have to be the boss. If you don't believe me, consider how many people have been taken astray by the so-called prosperity gospel. Who have been told that if you just check the boxes, if you just sow your faith, which just so happens to be the signature on your check, that the Lord will return these things. And there's real danger in this. There's real danger in misunderstanding. And I think you understand that. But there's real danger because oftentimes we don't know that we're doing this. Can I say that? James and John don't understand that they are misunderstanding. James and John are oblivious to this fact. I think that we are not only prone to this, but we're prone to try and baptize it, aren't we? We're, tr- we're prone to try and make it holy. I remember ever since I moved up here in November 2014, I've had to make that glorious drive to South Park. And it used to be busy, and now somehow it's busier, even though they've expanded the roads, right? Right? But I know that if you recall with me, many of you go to Uptown, if you, you get off 77 onto 277, and I've got I've to go around and make a U-turn and these sorts of things, but right there as you enter onto 277, there's a giant billboard. And since November 1st, 2014, it hasn't changed. It's the same, almost five years later. You know what it is? It's the billboard for the Mega Millions and Powerball Lottery displaying just how much you might be able to win. And I'd be the biggest liar in the world if I told you I have never prayed to the Lord. You know, I could do a whole lot of good with that money. A lot of missionaries could be funded if you let me win that. 
A lot of church plants could crop up, couldn't they? I'd give all that money away, I promise. You see, I have sought to baptize a carnal desire for money to try and coerce my Lord into doing something for my personal benefit and gain. I think that's incredibly tempting, isn't it? But notice the selfishness. I'm the best man for that money. I'm the best woman for that job. I'm the best person to have all of that responsibility and all of that control because if you give it to me, I'll do the right thing. I think Matthew Henry addresses this well when he says, worldly honor is a glittering thing with which the eyes of Christ's own disciples have many times been dazzled. But our care must be this, listen to this, that we may have wisdom and grace to know how to suffer with Christ. And we may trust Him to provide what the degrees of our glory shall be. We just heard a wonderful message about treasures in heaven. That should be plenty enough. But oftentimes we are like James and John and our chief concern even in the week leading up to Christ's death on a cross, his personal glory, fame, celebrity. Jesus was simply a tool, a means to an end. Do you see Jesus that way? But before you answer, I think it's worth considering the rest of the sermon, so hold on to that. I think it's worth considering Jesus' response. Very unlikely response, I think. How do you respond when somebody gets a bit presumptuous all up in your business? Uh, excuse me. Do you know who I am? Uh, who do you think you are? We're pretty good at asking those questions, right? Jesus is so patient. You don't understand, he says. You don't, you don't get it. You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? I love their response. You betcha, Jesus. Of course we are. Because you see, they misunderstand again, don't they? The cup and the baptism, we don't really know what they are. Maybe he's talking about like the rebellion that's got to happen to put him on the throne of Israel. Okay, yeah, we'll be commanders. We'll, we'll, we'll command your armies. Oh yeah, totally, we're in. They could understand that Jesus was going to be hated by some people, and they're like, yeah, okay, people hate us already. Let's continue to be hated. No big deal. Let's do it. Let's do it. What's Jesus talking about? Are you able to drink the cup of wrath? God's infinite, terrifying, brutal, in more ways than we can even express in human terms, His pure wrath towards sin. Can you drink that cup? The answer is obviously no, right? This is a rhetorical question. They should just keep their mouths shut, right? The answer is no. Move on. Of course we can. And I love Jesus' response. He says, oh, you'll drink of it. And you'll be baptized in it. And I love this because Jesus sees this as an opportunity. You don't understand. So you know what? I'm going to tell you the truth and you're still not going to get it. 
Because he says, you'll, you'll do these things. But did James and John, did they drink the wrath of God on the cross? Are they baptized in the baptism Jesus is baptized? Not directly, right? How do they participate in these things? Because a patient, gentle, loving Savior gives them His righteousness. They participate in Jesus' death not by experiencing the wrath of God, but by receiving the benefits of Him drinking the cup and Him being baptized in this way. You see, He knows that these men are being selfish, and yet even in this moment, He seeks to show them their mistake gently, lovingly, and by pouring out grace. They don't get it. They won't get it. But that's okay. And once he goes to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes in and he shatters the walls and he says, this is life. And they get it. You see how gracious our God is? That he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't yell at them. He doesn't send them away. He doesn't dismiss them as disciples. He gives them good gifts anyway. And so, yes, I think we're prone to misunderstand. Yes, I think that we, too, are asking Jesus, let me sit at your right hand. Let me sit at your left hand. Give me fame. Let me win that Powerball $1.5 billion so I can give it away, except for a little bit, maybe. We're prone to this, but Jesus is prone even more to give grace, to forgive us of this attitude, and to shape us and fashion us more after his image. To give us participation in the cup. Or I should say the benefits of not having to drink it. And that's beautiful. But then what happens? It's over, right? Okay, they, they received their rebuke and they, uh, they don't understand what he just said. And they're like, okay, well, I guess the answer is no. Because he says it's not mine to give away. Story over, right? No. Guess who finds out? Yikes. The other ten. And what happens? They began to be indignant. So guess who else doesn't understand? Peter and Andrew and Matthew and John Mark. Why? They're angry at them. Why are they angry at them? Because they want that position. They think they deserve that. And so Jesus opens up and he says, okay, look. You're still not getting it. Leadership is not about ruling over other people. And here's the great twist of the irony here. You see the Gentile rulers themselves do this, but those are the ones you're trying to get rid of. And now you want to be like them. Rather than paying attention these last three years of Jesus' ministry and seeing that whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. That he did not come to be served, but to serve. And this is Jesus' unlikely response to James and John and indeed the other ten. That if you want glory, if you want treasures in heaven, you must give up the idea that you deserve fame on your own terms. And you must act in this radically otherworldly godly way. You want to be a leader? Do you want to be responsible? 
for certain things, would you sit at Jesus' right and left hand? Then you must act like Jesus. And you must not be served. But you must serve. This is the way that Jesus instructs his disciples. Don't push your own agenda. Don't even fight for yourself. Go even unto death, loving others first. Especially when you don't want to. Especially when it doesn't make sense. And you'll find, I think, how quickly it means something to people. You'll find how quickly people flock to those leaders. You'll find, I think, in that, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look, I, I know I'm really, truly preaching to the choir here, okay? I, I have experienced firsthand the love and generosity of this church. For the last five years, you have quite literally fed me and clothed me and housed me in more ways than I can ever thank you. But Jesus calls us to an even more radical thing than taking on a poor seminary student. He calls us to love every one of our neighbors in that way. I know that you have loved me and Madeline in this way, and I know that you've loved each other in that way. Please don't stop. Because this is Jesus' way. This is the posture that Jesus has not only called us to, but adopted himself toward me and you. This is Jesus' unlikely response. But then he shows us this incredible representative in this Bartimaeus. And I'll, I'll be quick here. Because I think as, as the disciples were beginning to fracture and compete for attention, Jesus is like, all right, we're up. We're out of here. We're going to Jericho. i got to get to Jerusalem. I don't have time for your bickering. i got a cross to go to, right? And in the midst of this fight, Jesus teaches them this better way, right? And they go into Jericho, and this blind man hears that Jesus is there. No doubt he's heard about Jesus. No doubt that he's heard Jesus has healed people. No doubt that he's heard that Jesus is Lord. And what does he do? Sweet Bartimaeus. He cries out, Jesus, Son of David, put me at your right and left hand. No. Have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus heals them. They move on their way, right? No, people rebuke the guy because they still don't get it. Jesus is too much of a celebrity for you, Bartimaeus. Stay over there. He's too important for you, Bartimaeus. Get out of the way. Shut your mouth. His mission's too important. So in that split moment, Bartimaeus had a choice. He could bow to cultural etiquette and he could listen to the lies which were being spat his way as the lowest of the low in society. He could know his place or he could do something radical. Yell louder. Have mercy on me. He doesn't stop. His faith drives him to proclaim, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Because he knows Jesus can. And he knows Jesus will. 
You see, Bartimaeus' faith in Jesus is not his faith in Jesus as a celebrity king who will set up a kingdom. It's not in a famous person who will give him the desires of his heart and make him famous and give him glory rather than take it himself. No, Jesus, excuse me, Bartimaeus understands that Jesus heals. And his faith cries out to Jesus, not for personal gain, but for mercy. Not for himself. Not for his ambitions. For restoration of his brokenness. Truly, we can say that uh, blind Bartimaeus, I think, saw a bit more clearly than James and John, didn't he? Bartimaeus' faith is the faith that should be our faith. And I love sweet Jesus, who's not too busy for this man, who's not too busy for you, who's not too busy. He stops and he says, call him to me. And Bartimaeus, he jumps up and he leaves his likely his only worldly belonging, the thing which keeps him warm at night. He leaves it behind, doesn't care what happens to it. It's probably going to get stolen. And he runs. He springs to his feet and runs to Jesus because nothing else matters. Nothing in this world compares to the mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus says to him. What do you want me to do for you? Sound familiar? It's the same question he asked James and John. Bartimaeus had a choice. He could ask for fame and glory and celebrity, but no. Bartimaeus asked for healing. And he proves himself faithful. Not just for desiring healing and, and to see, to, to put on display the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to glorify Christ and not Himself, not only for that, but because of what happens next. Read with me the end here in verse 52. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. Bartimaeus doesn't jump up with his new eyesight and go climb the social ladder in Rome. He doesn't go and pursue money. He doesn't leave Jesus. He immediately recovers his sight and follows Christ on the way to the cross. Beloved friends, what do you want Jesus to do for you? You, like Bartimaeus and James and John, you have a choice. Would you be foolish like Pastor Jim and pray for lottery winnings? Or would you ask Jesus for social status, for power, Or would you ask him today and every day, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, heal me. Would you ask him for healing from not only physical ailments, but emotional and spiritual ailments of abuse that you may have suffered in this life, of hurt and wrongdoing, would you ask the Lord to heal you and, and that you might be able to forgive others whom you don't think you can? And would you be faithful that Jesus will heal you? And if not in this life, then most certainly in the next. 
Let this be my last message to you then, friends. Everything I've said and everything I've done over the last several years, forget about it. Don't remember any of it. Remember this. Jesus calls us to a radical, selfless forsaking of our own ambitions and plans and desires for our own well-being and calls us to serve rather than be served. He calls us not to view him as a means to an end of personal gain, but rather he wants us to view him as he presents himself, a friend of sinners, a physician who desires to heal, as a king who wants to serve his people, the unlovely, the brokenhearted, the bruised reed. Turn your eyes to your beloved friend Jesus Christ today and forever. And when he asks you on that great and glorious day, what do you want me to do for you? Proclaim with Bartimaeus, Jesus Christ, Son of David, have mercy on me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I would pray for your church in Huntersville. I would pray, O oh Heavenly Father, that they, like Bartimaeus, would answer that question faithfully. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you, through your Son and by the power of your Holy Spirit, would heal them of whatever ails them and whatever afflicts them. And Father, if unbelief if that wicked disease of unbelief is what plagues any gathered here, would you shine forth the light of your gospel? And would you use Pastor Lee and the elders and deacons, would you use this beloved family which has loved me so well, would you use them to show everyone Christ as a friend for sinners? Oh, Lord Jesus, we long to be with you and to be fully healed. But we trust that you will glorify yourself. And for that, we are thankful. And for that, we proclaim, it is enough. Take away from us worldly desires and implant in us a new heart, oh God, a heart which desires to glorify Christ. I pray that you would do that here today, tomorrow, and every day afterwards. For I ask this in the healing and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.